We are pausing in the book of Luke and going back 700 years to the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, beginning in chapter 7 of Isaiah this morning, if you want to turn there. Isaiah 7, beginning in verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, and the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook, or shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your hearts be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah, or because Syria with Ephraim, the son of Remaliah, has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand. And it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to ref- uh, when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the, in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. And that day the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. 
In that day a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. And because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows a man will come there. For all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of the briars and thorns. But they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. Uh, Father, as we come to the words of the prophet, give us wisdom into our own day and into our own hearts. Father, let us know how our faith is doing and where our faith is anchored. Grant us grace, Father. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Looking back at 2020, what can we say? A lot of fear. If I could say what marked all the events of 2020, I think I would say a lot of fear. A lot of threats. A lot of threats. A lot of fear of the coronavirus. A lot of fear politically. A lot of threats. If this isn't done, then this will happen. If this one doesn't get in, then this will happen. Fear has reigned in this country, in some of our hearts, if we're honest, all of us, to some degree, more in others, totally in some. The coronavirus, sickness, death, the vaccine, the election, the tumult, after the election, conspiracies, real corruption. In one sense, America, as we've always have known it, is changing. There's been unrest in cities, racial tensions, loss of jobs, the unfair treatment of some churches, challenges to their religious liberties. So fear could be a word that dominates 2020. What do we do? Where do we go when tough times come? The answer to that question is like a spotlight to the deepest parts of our soul and our heart. Where do we go when times become not securing anymore? 
when you become insecure, when, when fear approaches you, where do you go? What do you do? Because what we do and where we go is much more important than where we say we anchor our hope. And my question this morning is, where has your hope been anchored? Or in religious terms, in what do you have faith in? Everyone's religious. The atheist has faith in something. Puts his hope in something. The question is, not what you would say, but what is 2020 revealed about where your hope is anchored? Where is your hope? In whom do you trust? Who will you listen to? What will make everything better? If you want to answer that question, just think through this. What do you watch or listen to? Just think about it. What do you watch or listen to? As Scott, Scott and I were talking this morning, what does YouTube suggest to you? What does it recommend to you as it runs the algorithm to what you're interested in? What do you read about? What do you think about? What do you talk about? That's where your hope is. That's where your Savior is found. Jesus said, for out of the heart the mouth speaks. So if you want to know where your heart is, you listen to what you're talking about. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You think, you feel, you act out of your heart. That's the soul of a person. A person thinks out of their soul and feels and has affection out of their soul. So what do you serve up to your mind to think about? That's where your hope is. That's where your heart goes. What or whom do I have affection for? Who do you love? What really matters? What's really going to deliver for you? Those are sobering questions because as Christians, we're taught the right answers. We know what we're supposed to say. And it's a good thing saving faith isn't perfect faith because I don't have perfect faith. I can shift my hope from God to circumstances or men so quickly. But let me begin by saying that fools anchor their hope in Donald Trump. Fools anchor their hope in Joe Biden. Fools anchor, now listen to what I'm saying, anchor your hope. An anchor holds you somewhere. Fools anchor their hope in the Republican Party. 
Fools anchor their hope in the Democratic Party. Fools anchor their hope in any man or system of man. That doesn't mean we don't participate in politics. That doesn't mean you don't participate in something man does. But what it does mean is wise men do not anchor their hope in those things. They're untrustworthy. They can't secure us. They can't give us joy. Most of us will say, Jesus is what I live for. Jesus is where my hope is. I always put Jesus on top, but how often in the scripture does God say, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Meaning, you honor me with your mouth, but what do you think about? What do you love? Where's your treasure? Where's your hope? And so, my plea with you this morning is to be honest with yourself. Take a good evaluation of where your hopes and where your heart is set. Fools don't think about eternity. This life is but a mist. Your soul will live on forever. We will check the bank account. We'll, we'll, we'll worry about so many things that are temporary. And rarely do people honestly look at the books of their soul and value their very life. Jesus says, what if you gain the entire world but lose your soul? His point is it would be a bad transaction. Without hardly realizing it, we can act as foolish sinners choosing the creation over the creator. But every year at the end of the year in our culture, we celebrate Christmas. And oh, what a shame it is that we celebrate the birth of Christ but once a year. We ought to celebrate this at all times. For the birth of Christ destroys all fear, as we will see this morning. So one more time, the question is, where is your faith? Where is your anchor? Where are you looking to find security? Little God, little faith. Your view of God will determine the strength of your faith. If you have a little God, your faith will be little. Psalm 9.10 says this, And those who know your name put their trust in you. Who puts their trust in God? Those who know God. Not those who know about God. 
So the goal of this sermon is to raise your view of God and to Christ and to lower your view of man and man's wisdom so that you would trust in God and not man. So let's go back as we look at Isaiah 2,700 years and gain some perspective. If you lived in Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, the southern kingdom, you would know that what you're supposed to hope in is a son that's going to come in the line of David that's going to make all things good. That his kingdom will reign forever. But if you lived in Jerusalem during that time, it was a tough year. It was a year like 2020, only much worse. If, if you were to live in those times, politics were raging just as they are in our culture. Sometimes we read the Bible and we forget these are people. And these are real places. And so, to let us not be confused, I'm going to have David pull up a PowerPoint here. And I'm going to have him keep this up because as we work through this, it's easy to get confused, all right? So what was the political situation at this time when Isaiah wrote this? Well, this is the year that King Uzziah died. The people loved King Uzziah. Their king whom they loved died. And he was a great king doing great things for a while, but he became proud. So much so that he walked into the temple with a censer of incense, even though only the sons of Aaron were allowed to do this, and burned incense to the Lord. And he was immediately struck with leprosy and lived the rest of his kingship in exile from people. But he died. Go ahead and flip it. And at this point in time in Israel's history, the kingdoms are divided. You have the northern kingdom, which has 10 tribes of Israel, and you have the southern kingdom, which has the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And the important thing to see here is when Isaiah is talking about the political things that are going on, and he's referring to the northern kingdom, sometimes he calls them Israel. Other times he, he'll call them Ephraim. All right? This is why it's just helpful to keep this in mind. The king of the northern kingdom is King Pekah. And the capital of the northern kingdom is Samaria. So when Isaiah is referring to the northern kingdom, he might use any of those words to refer to them. And in the southern kingdom, the king is King Ahaz, and the capital is in Jerusalem. And it's the southern kingdom that is in the line of King David, where the promised Messiah is going to come. So go ahead and flip to the next slide. And this is the landscape of uh, the political powers of the day. 
You have Judah down here with King Ahaz. You have Israel. And then you have Syria with King Rezin and King Tiglath-Pileser III with Assyria. Assyria is the superpower. Everyone's afraid of Assyria. They're chomping up land and kingdoms like crazy. And what we're going to see in Isaiah 7 is Israel and Syria became allies, and they said, let's go defeat Judah. Let's go defeat the southern kingdom. So if you lived in Jerusalem at this time, fear would rule. As you see that it looks like sure destruction is going to come upon you. Now Ahaz is going to have a choice. He can listen to the prophet of God or he can do what seems politically expedient. He can trust God that God's going to take care of his enemies because the promise to David is sure. It's going to come about. It has to come about for God promised it. Or Ahaz can go with the prevailing idea of the time, which is, you know what? If Syria and Israel are coming after us, let's go make friends with Assyria and fight them. Then we will show them. So that's the political landscape. And Dave, if you just want to leave that up as we work through the text here, uh, so you can keep track of these names but I want you to put yourself in their shoes. As we look at Isaiah chapter 7, you can see in your notes the charge of the sermon is let God be your fear and anchor your hope in King Christ. Do not fear man or fear what he fears. Do not anchor your hope in man, anchor your hope in Jesus, the son of David. Real simple. And uh, it, these notes aren't necessarily in order. We're just going to see these truths uh, replicate through the text. So here's what we read in verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of, Semer, of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet amount an attack against it. So imagine you're going to have coffee at the local coffee shop, and you live in Jerusalem, and you know they already want to attack you. There's an alliance. Do you want to know what they're going to do to us? Do you want to know what the plan is? They just don't have enough power yet, but they're going to do it. Have you ever heard anything like that? Have you, have you ever been afraid about mounting enemies as you read in the news and you, and you look around? And the main talk in Jerusalem is about the, everything that's going on in their present circumstances. And in verse 2, when the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, 
the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son. The meaning of the, his son's name is uh, a remnant shall return, which is a name of judgment and hope, right? If there's a remnant, a lot are going to die or be exiled, but some are going to live. But they're to meet at the end of the conduit or the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field and say to him, be careful. Now here's the charge from God. Be careful, be quiet. Do not fear. Be quiet. Quit talking like everyone else is talking. Because if you're talking about it, you're going to fear it because that's what's in your heart and that's what's in your mind. God's people should not be talking about what everyone else is talking about. They should be quiet in one sense and not fear, but trust. Do not let your heart be faint of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria, the son of Remaliah. In a sense, the way God sees Israel and Syria is like, you might fear a big fire, but are you going to fear two little smoking firebrands? In reality, they're, they're wore out armies already. So maybe they shouldn't even have feared in reality, but they did. And even if they were a big time threat to Judah, God says, do not fear. Because Syria with Ephraim, so that's Israel, the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tebal in its midst. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. God spoke. God said something. You see, there can't be faith without God speaking. When we think of Christian faith, we're saying faith in God's word. And when God speaks, God's people are called to believe him. And the threat is this, we're going to come conquer you and we're going to not have a king of David on this throne, but we're going to set up our own king, the son of Tebal. He's going to be on the throne of David. And God says, no, that will not happen and that will not stand. My ear, the commentary that was real helpful to me says this, such non-entities are the men concerned that Isaiah feigns not even to be able to recall their names and refers to them as the son of Remaliah and the son of Tebal. 
This may be irony, but it certainly prompts Ahaz to think in dynastic terms. If Pekah is the son of Remaliah, who is the whose son is Ahaz? In a sense, he should remember he's the son of David. He has the promise on his side. You know, we talk about all these politicians in our present day as, boy, they're big time and they're so this and that. And yet history shows us they come and they go. Fear, fear, fear. Put me in or else. Put me in or else. And what a sad state it is when God's people fill up with fear. Just like everyone else fills up with fear. And then he says, for the head of Damascus, or for the head of Syria is Damascus, that's the capital. And the head of Damascus is Rezin, that's the king in Syria. And within 65 years, Ephraim, that's Israel, will be shattered from being a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, that's the capital city, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. And Montier says this, but what Isaiah left unsaid must have shouted as loudly to Ahaz is what he did say. The head of Judah is Jerusalem, and the head of Jerusalem is David's son. Here was a situation of divine strength and kingship sustained by divine promises, hence the call to faith and the warning not to abandon faith. The crossroads with Judah is at hand with the king. Will he believe God or will he not? And then he says this, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So I don't know how you experienced 2020. If you experienced it as standing on a rock, secure, circumstances are crazy, but I'm secured on it. Or if your faith struggled, if men became big and God became small. If you are not firm in faith, you'll not be firm at all. My ear says, faith is the central reality of the Lord's people. Not just their distinctiveness, but the ground of their existence. No faith, no people. How do you become a Christian? By faith in Christ. You become a new creation. God's people don't just have faith. They're nothing without faith. God's word is what we have. And it's enough because his word is sure. Israel's hope is in Syria. Ahaz's hope is trending towards Assyria. What did Isaiah say in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 22? Here's what he says. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath. For of what account is he? He says, what is a man? A, a man 
only is what he is from God. So if you say, I'm putting my trust in that man, well, here's who you're putting your trust in. A man who's promised one breath. And the very next breath has to come from God. Only fools put their trust in men. For men are sustained by God. Will Ahaz seek salvation by works? Or will he trust the promises that God has given Israel? That's the question. And look at the kindness of God here. Again, the Lord said to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. That's an invitation. He's trying to help this afraid king. Come on, I'll I'll prove myself to you. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord God to the test. You see, he knows the religious lingo. He knows that it's a sin to test the Lord when testing is comes from lack of faith. You know, God, I'll trust your word if you'll do this for me. If you do this or if you do that, that's testing God in a sinful way. But what kind of sin is it when God says, ask me anything? And you say, no, 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 I'm not going to ask. This is what you call a person who doesn't want to believe. People who pretend like they want to look at the facts, pretend like they want to come to God with an honest heart, but really don't want to believe. And so he cloaks his lack of trust in God with, a religious response to God's offer. I have a friend of mine that says, as Christians, we do this all the time. We add virtue to our baloney. That's what we do. (laughs) When we're full of it, we have a way of adding virtue to it. We make it sound good. That's what Ahaz was doing here. Kaiser, another commentator, says this, the only way we can have God is by relying on him and using him. For the only way it is possible to to accord God's deity to him is by using him and risking one's life upon his word by trusting his promises and obeying the revelation of his will. The way we show that we believe God is God is we Realize we have nothing. Our next breath comes from Him. We must rely on Him. And so then here's Isaiah's response. He said, Here then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you also weary my God? And I will point out to you in verse 10, look at what he, look at, or in verse 11, look at how Isaiah speaks to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God in verse 11. But in verse 13, he says, Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? 
So what we see here is Isaiah seized on belief. Can you imagine how exciting this would be as a prophet? You go tell Ahaz, he can ask anything. High as heaven or as low as earth, and I'll do it for him. Yes, Ahaz is finally going to put his trust in God. And then he watches Ahaz's response. Isaiah isn't even calling him your God anymore. He's calling him my God. Are you going to weary my God with your lack of faith? And then he says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. All right, you won't ask for a sign. God's going to give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means the Lord with us or Lord be with us. He said, or he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse evil and choose good. So curds and honey, don't get that mixed up with milk and honey, a land flowing with milk and honey. Curds and honey is actually a sign that the land is desolate. And the only thing you're living off is the milk that the cow can give you. And we know that from the context of, of chapter 7 here. In verse 21, you can see, in, the day, in that day man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that place uh, where there used to be thousands of vines, where thousands of shekels, there will be briars and thorns. So there's going to be a son that's born. A virgin is going to give birth to a son, and he's going to be poor. He's going to be born in a poor time of Israel when it's desolate. There's a sign for you, Ahaz. For before the no boy knows how to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. He's saying, these enemies you're afraid of, afraid of in no time, they're going to be gone. And this is a telescoping prophecy in a sense. It, it has immediate fulfillment, and then it has the greater fulfillment in Christ. So as they're hearing this, they're thinking, okay, a virgin right now, the amount of time it takes her to get pregnant and have a baby, and before that boy turns, you know, what is it? Two or three? They know how to, I don't, I don't know what the age is when they know how to refuse evil and choose good. I know they can re refuse peas really quick and take the fruit. They're able to discern real quick that way. But what he's saying is, in a very short time, you're all afraid of these enemies and they're going to be gone. And then we know from the New Testament that this prophecy ultimately is pointing to Christ. And actually we see that in chapter, uh, right away in chapter 9 in Isaiah. And so Ahaz lacking faith, decides to seek help from Assyria. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Kings 16, starting in verse 7. And you can follow along as we read maybe three of the saddest verses in the Bible. I literally was almost sick to my stomach as I turned and watched how this unfolded 
2 Kings 16, verse 7. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took silver and gold and was found in the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him and the king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying the people captive to Ker. And he killed Rezin. A king in the line of the son of David said to the king of Assyria, I am your servant. I am your son. If that doesn't make you want to vomit, I don't know what will. Faith pleases God. And when we doubt his love and his kindness and his goodness, which we just describe as being human. I mean, we're just human. We're going to complain about 2020 like everyone else complains about 2020. We're going to argue politics like all of our hopes in it, just like everyone else does. But it's an ugly thing. It's so easy to see it in King Ahaz, and it's so hard to see it in our own hearts when we so easily anchor our hopes in man rather than in God. And then in verse 18, it says, In that day the Lord will whistle for the flies, since that's the way Ahaz is choosing, that is at the end of the streams of Egypt, and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria, and they will come and settle in the steep ravines and the clefts of the rocks and in all the thorn bushes and all the pastures. And that day the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired be, behind the river. The king of Assyria, the head of the hair of the feet, will sweep away the beard also, from this time on, after Ahaz, Matyr says, there was never again a house of David in the true sense, but only a line of puppet pretend kings under alien domination until at exile they even dispersed into the sand of history never to reemerge. The name of the overlord power would change from Assyria to Babylon to Persia to Greece and finally to Rome before Emmanuel would be born. But when he was born, it was to share the poverty of his people, to inherit a non-existent throne and to feel the full weight of the oppressor. The blame for all this rested on Ahaz and his failure to believe the Lord's word. The promise awaited its time, but the threat was immediate. So Isaiah's prophecy was exactly true. Desolation came upon Judah. Their people were scattered. Foreigners came in. All the way up into the birth of Christ. And then look at chapter 8. Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it 
common characters belonging to Maharshala Hazbaz, and I'll get a reliable witness. Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jer- uh, Jeberechiah to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to me, Call his name Maharshal Hajbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry to my father and my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. The boy's name means speed, spoil, haste, booty. That's how fast your destruction's going to come. Speed, spoil, haste, booty. They're going to run off with your possessions in no time. In 734 B.C., Tiglath-Pileser marched down the Israelite seacoast through Philistia, Philistia to the Egyptian border, cutting off Egyptian aid to the treaty powers. In 733 B.C., Israel lost Galilee, Transjordan, uh, Megiddo, and other cities, and it was only uh, the hasty submission of Hosea which saved the kingdom for a few more years. Damascus fell to Assyria in 732. And then we see in verse 5, the Lord spoke to me again, because the people refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin, the son of Remaliah. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria in all of his glory, and it will rise up over its channels and over its banks, and it will sweep through on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread springs will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Here's what he's saying. The, the way Montier said it is he said, when Ahaz decided to choose Assyria, they grabbed the tiger's tail. We want to be friends with you. And then the tiger came and devoured them all the way out into the neck because Judah can't be cut off, right? You read Isaiah chapter 6, last verse. All the destruction's going to come. Everything's going to be burned up, but these burned up, cut down stumps is going to produce life again. There's a remnant that'll be left. So Isaiah's prophecy is destruction's coming big time all the way up to the neck, but there's still hope because there's still the son of David and God's promises will never end. And then you look at verse nine, be broken you peoples, be shattered, give ear, all you far cut. Country, strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your army, armor and be shattered. Here's what he's saying. Trust in man and be shattered. You want to do it? You want to, you want to go find your earthly king? You want to go find your armor? You want to go do it your way? Be shattered. If you want to put your hope in man, you will not be secure. You won't be. There is no secure people on this earth except those trusting in God. Those who say they are, they're lying to you. It's not true. There is no hope. Well, what man are you going to hope in? He could die tomorrow. You're going to put your hope in your wife? She could get cancer and die in a month. You're going to put your hope in your children? They could tell you they hate you and walk out of your life forever. 
You can put your hope in your job. COVID-19 could come and your business could be shut down. There is no security in man. We're all growing old, aren't we? You got hope in your health? The only place we have hope is in God. And it's only by His grace. Okay, hang on just a few more minutes. And look at what he says in verse 10. Take counsel together. You gather all your buddies and all your weapons. Go for it. But it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand. For God is with us. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. How were those people walking? Look at what it says. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. Christians, we are not the people that are conspiracy people. I know what you're going to say. Yeah, but what if they're true? Well, you want to know what Isaiah calls the true reality of this? Conspiracy. Assyria's real. Syria's real. Israel's real. And he's saying, don't do it. You are not marked by those who tremble over the conspiracies of your day. That does not mark the people of God. Doesn't mean you don't have an opinion on anything. It means your Facebook page isn't full of it. It, doesn't, it means your YouTube channel isn't full of conspiracies. It means all that you read and listen to is pointing you more to the God of the universe than these weak men that come for a while and then are gone. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Because if we fear those things, we don't honor God as holy. We, we, we tell the world our God is weak and he's small. And little politicians can get us angry and scared. That's craziness. We're, we're giving them the light of the world and we're just as angry as everyone else is angry. We're just as scared as everyone else is scared. That's how it was 2,700 years ago. And that's how easy it is for us to be today. Next week, we're going to look at the glorious chapter 9. We're going to get to see the prophecy of the son that is born. And what we get to read is things like this. <laughs> For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting father, <coughs> prince of peace. This might seem like bad news, but to the person of faith, it was promised that his son was going to be born. He was going to be human, but he was going to be called mighty God. Everlasting father of his kingdom and the expanse of his government, there will be no end. And obviously that person is Jesus Christ. Jesus took on flesh, came to this earth to be born a baby, to put the government on his shoulders, to put the burden on his shoulders and to lift the burden off your shoulders because the burden on our shoulders was to stand before a holy God in our sin. And there is no hope. There's only sure destruction with that burden in the pilgrim's progress, right? Christians walking around with the burden of sin, but Christ came, put the burden on himself. And he went to a cross to die on the cross for our sins. That's why Christmas happened. It wasn't just so we could celebrate a birth of a cute little baby. It was so he could bear our sins. And he's at the right hand of God. And he's king of this universe and he's coming back. And as Christians, we'll see him as king and ruler or we'll see a man as king and ruler. And we're called to lift our eyes in faith, just as Isaiah called Ahaz, to rest your hope in the Son. Because if you trust Jesus, what can man do to you if God is for you? Jesus died and was raised from the dead, which means this, that when you die, your body's going to raise again. That's the promise we have in the Scriptures. We no longer need to fear death, we no longer need to fear oppression. We no longer need to fear difficult circumstances. We can rest our hope in a sovereign God that works all things together for his perfect plan. Father, I pray that we would see you the same way Isaiah saw you in Isaiah chapter 6, as the Lord high and lifted up, that the very fringe, the very outside of your garment filled up the entire temple. Father, let us see you as the big and mighty God that you are. Let us tremble with our souls and be honest and say, where have I really anchored my hope? Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our faith at the end of 2020 here, and we would go into 2021 not knowing what it brings, a peace that surpasses all understanding, know that our Savior is called the Prince of Peace. Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.